Thank you, worship team, for leading us in musical worship once again that highlights the glory of our God, especially as it pertains to His grace. And we're going to zero in on that concept here this morning. Once again, you hear it from the pulpit often. Major theme in the scripture is God's grace. It's marvelous. It's infinite. It's matchless. And we all desperately need it. Um, so I'm excited to be back here. It's been a couple weeks off and uh, grateful for Pastor Danny and for Pastor David uh, filling in the pulpit over the last couple weeks. And I'm excited to get back into the gospel of Mark here. But before we do that, um, it was, I was told by a little informant that it is Marilyn Gross's birthday today. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It wasn't the person next to you as a, as a little one. Some little child in this congregation loves you and wanted to expose you today. So, so happy birthday. There you go. Sorry. I didn't say, Jade, I didn't tell her it was you. All right. And then uh, it was Melanie Moyer's birthday yesterday. So if you see her, make sure you say happy birthday to these wonderful ladies. Yeah, you can give them a clap. That's good. Way to be born. Good job. Yeah, you did, you did excellent at that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's, I think everybody here has a birthday at some point. We can't point everybody out. All right, so... All right, <laughs> all right. Well, this is uh, this is the second half of a sermon that we began a few weeks ago, um, and this is also uh, a passage where we're going to see the second in a series of why questions that people had in the Gospel of Mark regarding the authority of Jesus. They're just he, Jesus shows up on the scene and he shakes things up quite a bit, and people have this massive. They have all these why questions, like why this, why that. And the first one was this, why does this man speak like that? We looked at that at the beginning of chapter 2 in the healing of, of the, the paralytic, right? Why does this man speak like that? Why does this guy speak as if he's God and forgive this guy's sins, right? Well, the reason he can speak like God is because he was God. And Jesus actually has the power that can change your life and allow you a new set of legs to walk on in a whole new way as you head to your eternal home, but you must express faith in his ability to change you. That was the message to the man on the mat. Like God can actually change the direction of your life. So why does this guy speak like that? Well, he is God. Here's the second question that pops up in the Gospel of Mark. We wrestled with it two weeks ago, and we're going to wrestle with it again today. The question we see in our text today is this, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So why does this guy speak as if he's God? And if he's speaking as if he's God, why is he with those people? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners. And the people of that day, especially the religious leaders of that day in Jesus' time, had created a false distinction between who they considered everybody else to be. They were sinfully sick sinners and who they viewed themselves to be. They were rigidly righteous, right? Religiously rigid and righteous. Like they, they kept all their ducks in a row and they weren't like everybody else. They were the exclusive fellowship of the people that God must love because they had their lives all together. And so that was the thought process in the day. And Jesus is going to annihilate that false line of distinction, that, 
breaks and he's going to try to break down that barrier that we so often construct that falsely separates those who we think are needy, probably other people, and those who are needy and sick with those who falsely think that they have no need for anything or no help. They're spiritually healthy before God. And so Jesus is going to blow that false line of distinction up. In fact, I was laughing about it this week. It's as if Jesus is going to take that line of thinking and he's going to wrap that thought in TNT and then he's going to hit a detonator button in this passage of scripture. And we're going to look at it in a moment and we're going to see the big massive explosion later on in the passage today. And last time we only looked at the first half of this passage and we made a personal applicational point. And it was such a joy for me as a senior pastor to see people responding to that call. Some of you can remember back a couple weeks where there was an urgent call given out for people to respond to what King Jesus had been saying to your heart in that worship gathering. There was a call issued and many people responded. So here's the follow-up with that. How are you doing with those responses? We did, from a leadership perspective, just kind of leave that up to you and the Holy Spirit to do his work of conviction. If you needed help, please approach us. We weren't going to come track you down. But we do want to say this. How are you doing with those responses? Do you need help in any way? Don't just try to walk the walk of repentance on your own. Otherwise, what you've decided to do on your own probably won't last very long. You'll probably just go back to being that person that you've always been while publicly pretending to be somebody different. That's not the way God wants you to walk. You need some help. We all do. And I know that that takes humility and I know that takes great vulnerability to let your real self be seen and known by someone else, but that's the biblical prescription given to attain mercy. Proverbs 28, 13, look at what it says. It's on the screen. Whoever conceals his transgressions, like you take the things that you're bad at or the ways that you've overstepped boundaries, if you conceal that, you will not prosper. But on the contrary, he who confesses and then forsakes will obtain mercy. It's simple. Just admit, I have a problem, I need help, and I can't do this on my own. I'm not gonna walk this walk of repentance on my own. I need somebody else to walk alongside with me. Galatians 6.2 says this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The way that this passage of scripture is written seems to indicate that we actually can't fulfill the law of Christ unless we bear one another's burdens. But how can we bear one another's burdens if they're not known? We can't. So yes, listen, I know, I wholeheartedly recognize and admit that it's very, very hard to ask for help and to be vulnerable and to tear down that facade of who you've been pretending to be and then watch it all circle the drain. But I don't know any other biblical way forward in the walk of repentance. It's as this, I remember a quote reading, uh, a reading, uh, reading a book by Andrew Murray and the quote was this. 
Here is the pathway to the higher life. Down, lower down. Just as water always seeks to fill the lowest place. So the moment God finds man abased and empty, his glory and his power flow in to exalt and then to bless. So if, if that's true, and I think that's what the Bible prescribes for us, not just the words of Andrew Murray, if you want to be blessed by God and find freedom and liberation from what you're struggling with, you need to abase and empty yourself. Humble yourself. I know it's a counterintuitive thought, but guess what? So was the second person of the Trinity incarnating himself and humbling himself to death on a cruel cross so that we ruined sinners could be reclaimed and be given eternal life. It's just the way God works. So how are you doing with those responses? How can we help you in your responses from a couple weeks ago? How can we help you if you don't let us know what the burden is? So if you want God to work in your life, you need to get into the right humble position for his blessing to flow. And that means you need to humble yourself. And I know it's hard. And I know undoubtedly you're wondering if this here is a safe place for you to be who you really are. That's a 1,000% legitimate question. What if I let somebody know who I really am and they feel an obligation to pick up a stone and hurl it at me? That's scary. What if what I reveal about myself to somebody disgusts people and although my confession is pleasing to God, it's displeasing to the person that I just told, and then they reject me. What if this, what if that, so on and so forth, those are very real, very hard questions, potentially sad realities that you might be rehearsing in your head, and you wonder if you can really be real here at FCC. The second half of this passage and the remainder of this sermon is going to address those swirling and scary thoughts. It's a sobering message and a call to action for all who attend FCC. Today we want to figure out how we as a church ought to respond to what we read in the passage before us. We did personal application last time. Now it's time for corporate application. It's going to lead us to a corporate applicational point that we all as individuals who gather here need to make. Let's look at what God's word says in this passage of scripture that we've read the second half, but let's read the full context. In Mark chapter two, verses 13 through 17. And he, Jesus, went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And he passed by, or as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
and he rose and he followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's add the Lord's blessing to us as we submit ourselves to the word of God. God, we want to be humbled before you right now, and we want to say that what we see in this passage of scripture is true. It's true of you. And if it's true of you, our exalted head, then it should be true of us who make up your corporate local body here at FCC. And God, I pray that you would add your blessing to those who read, submit, and, uh, and fall in line with this passage of scripture. God, give us a great time as we study your word now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. <laughs> I believe that the main teaching of this passage is pretty simple. The main point that we need to get from this passage of Scripture is this. In order to benefit from what Jesus has to offer, we must recognize our need for him. It's easy. In order for us to benefit from what Jesus is offering, we must recognize in ourselves and corporally that we actually need what he is offering. So we're going to go back in the text, verse 13, right? Levi is sitting there, right? Levi recognized his need and he left where he was at to have that need met. He was an outcast sitting by himself in a tax booth, but then he rose up and then he followed and then he reclined with Jesus and he wasn't the only one who recognized his need. Look at verse 15. And as he, Levi, reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And then Mark adds it like if we just forgot what he just said. He says, for the reason why there was many there is because there was many who followed him. Tax collectors and sinners, many of quote unquote them, were responding to the invitation to rise up, leave where they were at, and start following Jesus. And the same goes for us too. If we want to benefit from what Jesus is offering to us, we must recognize our need for him and leave where we are at. The tax collectors and sinners were the traitorous, I don't know if that's a word, but they were traitorous, I don't know. They, they were the outcast of society because they were determined to be traitors of the Jewish people. They were detested as a whole and by the whole. They were considered vile and they were often practicing extortion. 
when I was reading this last week, one historian notes this. He said this, when a Jew entered into the custom service of tax collecting, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or witness in a court session. He was excommunicated from the synagogue. You can't come here anymore. And in the eyes of the community as a whole, his disgrace was not just toward him, but it was towards his whole family. The Jewish people, get this, the Jewish people already had foreign occupants ruling over them. That was painful enough, but for this occupancy to run smoothly, they enlisted the help of Jewish people to pull off a money grab to pay for that occupancy that they never wanted in the first place. So the pain experienced by the Jewish people was increased tenfold when a fellow Jew, in order to line his own pockets, deserted his own to become part of a regime of oppression. And then it was increased 100-fold when that fellow Jew took even more for himself than what was actually required by Rome. Like this is just salt in the wound. More than that, it was gross It was detestable, it was disgusting behavior, and it was willfully done by these people. What they did was an atrocity, and it was hurtful, and it was self-centered. These are the people, get this, these people were being called by Jesus, and these are the people that were responding to that call that are ending up reclining with Jesus around a table, relaxed and at ease. Jesus was eating with them, which in that culture at that time demonstrated that he fully accepted them. Come on in. I got room for you here. Come. You can come. And so that's why you see these professional religious types Asking the why question. Look at verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, here it is, why? Why? Why does he eat? Which is symbolic of fully accepting them. Why does he eat? Why does he accept these tax collectors and sinners that are so culturally despised by everyone we know? Why was Jesus willing to walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit with sinners and recline and dine with them? That's the exact opposite of the blessed and righteous man in Psalm 1 1. The Pharisees sought to maintain this exclusive fellowship among themselves in order to avoid ritual impurity. Like We can't eat over there with you guys. We'll come eat over here. There's no way that we can be known as fully accepting you. Think about this last week. Remember Pastor David used kind of a technical term to describe the Pharisees last week? Remember? Hoity-toity. Do you remember that one? It's like hoity-toity, that's a good word, right? I start using that one. It means to be kind of snobbish, like a holier-than-thou mindset. I'm way up here, you're way down there. They had a false sense of self-inflated importance. 
These Pharisees, they outwardly had it all together and they demonstrated no need to be associated with Jesus or take him up on the offer of whatever fellowship that he was offering. Their mindset was this. We don't need you. We don't want you. Why would we? You hang out with sinners and that's what we aren't. In fact, Jesus, the only ones that seem to want you and to be associated with you are those outcast sinners of society. So what does that make you? Well, guilt by association, you too must be an outcast sinner and you are unwelcomed in our society. And here's the thing. To an extent, their assumption was right. Because in three years' time, Jesus was going to go to the cross for their crimes and their guilt. He was going to be an outcast from society and die on a hill outside of the city walls after being publicly rejected by his own people while they asked for a convicted criminal to go free while he was hung on a tree. He was an outcast. He was cast out. He exchanged his righteous life for their unrighteous ones in order to bring them to God. It was a great, humble act that might be the pinnacle expression. It is the pinnacle expression of God's agape love, self-sacrificial love for the good and benefit of others. But guess what? There is a whole trail of breadcrumbs of that love that were left behind by King Jesus when we read stories of him eating with tax collectors and sinners. You know, we talk about the cross, the point to the refuge of the mighty cross, and we talk about his grace and love. That is the pinnacle expression. But what about when he's just sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners like no one else in society would? That's love. That's self-sacrificial for the benefit and good of others too. So there's a trail of breadcrumbs all throughout the ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus, when he spoke those words a couple weeks ago and pronounced forgiveness on this paralytic man, right? Forgiveness couldn't be attained unless you went to the temple and offered a sacrifice. Jesus was the new temple, the place where deity dwelt, And where was that deity dwelling? Well, he chose to dwell with tax collectors and sinners. He dwelt with people who recognized their own unworthiness and their great need for him. So Jesus has good hearing, right? He overhears what these scribes of the Pharisees are asking his disciples. He hears them asking his disciples that why question and his response is like pushing down a detonator button that will blow up this false categorization of humanity that says some people need him and some people don't. Look at verse 17. And when Jesus heard that question, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So here's the punchline. It's like 
push, boom, explosion, world-altering, life-altering truth being spoken, will the fallout affect you? We don't know. Here it is. But can any human honestly answer the question posed in Proverbs 20, verse 9? What does Proverbs 20, verse 9 says? Well, who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? Who can say that? Can anyone say that in 100% honesty? Look, look, I, my heart is pure as can get. And I, I am clean from my sin. Like, who can say that? If we're honest, we can all notice inconsistency and a lack of piety in our lives. We've all fallen so short of our own standards, let alone God's standards. That's the honest truth. We fall short. But in order to see that, you have to allow for a moment of honesty to reflect on this. In order to see it, you have to say, God, I'm not pure in my heart. God, I'm not really cleansed from my sin. And so that's why Jesus says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician. Well, who's well? Aren't we all kind of inconsistent? Aren't we all a little dirty? Aren't we all a little sinful? Whatever it might be, fill in the blank with whatever you struggle with. That's the honest truth, but you have to allow for a moment of honesty in order to see it, and these sinners saw it, while the self-righteous hoity-toity type didn't. Listen, everybody who heard those words, the reason Jesus said those words was so that the fallout could affect everybody. They were all, everybody within earshot of Jesus that day were all sick, but only saw, some saw that they were sick. And when they saw that, that they were sick, they came to the one that could actually heal them. So now it's time for the corporate application of this passage of Scripture. I told a story last time that we were together about growing up in Kansas and my dad working on golf carts. And I mentioned that there are two types of kind of courses within our county that I grew up in. There were private country clubs that the common person couldn't access. And they were not welcomed at unless they fit the mold and they paid the membership and all that stuff. And then there were public courses that any old John or Jane Doe could book a tea time for. I think there might have been a typo in the, in the sermon notes there. Is the, the difference between a, a private country club and a public course. Here's the question. What type of church is FCC going to be? This is corporate application. What type of church is FCC going to be? Last weekend, our eldership met for seven hours on Saturday for the purpose of just reading scripture and praying and asking the Lord to help us assess who we are as a church and discover who God has called us to be. And we asked God to reveal to us some core values that could help us keep in step with his spirit as we attempt to lead this local body. And I love, I love what I see. I'm gonna show this just image right here, if we can put that up on the screen. These were some core values that at the end of the day, we're like, we really sense that God really wants FCC to be about these things. 
Number one and number two, we recognize we're kind of the same, so we combined them. It used to say gospel-centered or Christ-centered, and then it said biblical preaching and teaching, so we just kind of combined those two. And we said, you know what, we really want to be a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching, teaching church with godly servant leadership where the membership has authentic relationships with one another based off of grace so that we can engage in dynamic, transcendent musical worship and foster intentional discipleship. We said, God, we really feel like after seven hours of mulling these things and praying about these things and reading about church and leadership and who we are, that these are the things that we identify as that we want to strive after becoming. And you know what? I love that three of our top core values center on this idea of having a baseline of grace. Look at core value number one. The gospel that we testify to and the ministry that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle Paul was to testify to the gospel of God's grace. We read about in Acts chapter 20 where it says this, Paul says, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Another apostle said this, Peter said this in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, that means we are broken, confirm strengthen and establish you. So number, core value number one is centered on this idea of grace as well. Core value number four, look at this one, is to be a grace-based fellowship. Grace is the hinge on which the core value number three, authentic relationships can even swing. None of us will be willing to engage in authentic relationships with one another here unless at the very core of our beings, we feel that when we open ourselves up to be really known, once that mess is exposed, that it will be met with grace. So a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church with godly servant leadership that emphasizes authentic relationships based on grace so that we can engage in dynamic, transcendent worship while being intentionally discipled? What more could you want from a little outpost of the greater kingdom, right? We believe that these values are the very heartbeat of King Jesus. So it's fitting that we, his local body, would have them coursing through our veins as well. That's the type of church body that I, as a senior pastor, but also just as a normal member, need to personally and desperately be a part of. I'm not saying that because I'm the senior pastor, take that hat off. That's just the type of church that I, Sean Clark, just want to be a part of and desperately need to be a part of. And I don't think I'm the only one. Think about the direction of Jesus' ministry. The direction of Jesus' ministry was downward and then outward. 
He came down from heaven and then he engaged with the social outcasts of society to the degree that he himself was accused later on of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because he spent time with those types of people. What types? Well, the type of person sitting next to you. (laughs) And the person that's sitting in your chair right now. It was downward and then it was outward to reach all of us in our sin-sick state. We're all so dirty. We're all rotten. Don't be offended by this. Be in agreement with it. It's contrary to what the culture says, I know. But don't be offended by that statement that we're all sinfully sick sinners, dirty and rotten scoundrels and outcasts. Don't be offended by it. Just be in agreement with it. Humble yourself and say, yep, that's me. That's an accurate depiction of me. Jesus spent time with the down and outs of society. God's grace and mercy are only appropriated to those who know that they need it. And he spent time with the down and outs of society and he welcomed them into his holy presence. And every single soul that walked through the building this morning, crossed over the threshold of whatever door you walked into, is a down and out whether they know it or not. Those of us that know it say things like Paul said to Timothy. This is the Apostle Paul who says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. That's the Apostle Paul. That's the Pauline confession. Look, I'm a sinner. I'm like the chief of sinners that needed to be saved. Those that know it say that they need him. Those that don't say things like the hoity-toity type in Luke chapter 18 who stood by himself and thus prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like what? This tax collector. And you know what? This Pharisee, this hoity-toity Pharisee was right. He's not like them. He's worse off than them because his proud heart has refused to understand that it needed God's grace and mercy to be appropriated to him. The Pharisees' words and actions are emblematic of a country club version of a golf course. Paul's words and actions to Timothy were emblematic of the public course version. And what I'm now suggesting for all of us is that if we don't adopt a more Pauline mindset about ourselves, meaning we're kind of all showing up here in competition in order to consider ourselves to be the foremost sinner, needing God's grace and mercy to be appropriated to us because of our sinfully sickness, right? Eventually, if you don't come here with that mindset, eventually, over time, you will not fit in here because you will have no need for what Christ has to offer. Jesus was sent into the world to save sinners, and that's exactly who we all are. We're all sick really sick. If what we did in our secret alone times 
And if our private thoughts were publicly known, we would all be in uniformed agreement that we are all quite sick. And so if you're wondering if this is a place for broken people, If you ever wonder if you can come here in your brokenness, I have a picture that I want to show you to remind you that you're welcome here. Look at this. All right. Most of you, when you leave the property, you drive east. That side looks pretty good. The west side, a little broken, right? Just a little bit broken. Look at the next one. Just look at our sign that's out front of our building. I'm, I'm kind of poking fun at us a little bit. That, scene, that sign has, I think, seen better days, right? It's pretty broken, and yet, listen to this, it's still on our property. It's been here for a long time. And yes, we probably need to give it some intentional restoration efforts towards it, right? Hopefully soon. But in the meantime, know this, it's still here. I, I literally drive out of the parking lot on the days where I'm in the office, and I look at the sign, I'm like, I don't love the sign. I wish someone would back over it. <laughs> it does look like a tombstone. Like. <laughs> but there's something just like so humbling about it. It's like, if you wonder if you can be broken and be here, just when you drive out of the parking lot, look, like, that's who we are. This sign is emblematic of who we all are on the inside. So don't feel like you can't be real or authentic here. Why? Because we're a gospel-centered, Bible-preaching church with godly servant leadership that emphasizes authenticity in our relationships because we have a baseline of a grace-based fellowship so that we can engage in dynamic, transcendent worship of the true holy God who was sent into the world to save sinners of whom we all are the foremost so that we can be intentionally discipled by him. Don't be offended by God's grace. Instead, marvel at it. Marvel at what's being offered to you. So here's the corporate application. I mentioned this at, um, at our annual business meeting back in December. As I was praying what God wanted us to do and what could we highlight and say. And this kind of phrase kind of came to my attention, sensing it from the Spirit. But FCC is the perfect church for imperfect people to meet the perfect Savior. It's a pretty bold statement. But this place must become a place where sinners can find help in their time of need. That's what's going to make this church quote-unquote perfect, right? What I mean by perfect is exactly what people need. Not like everything is clean and tidy and everything's great, right? We need to be a place that is a perfect place for, for broken people to come to. For this place to be a perfect place for imperfect people, we're going to have to get a firm grip on God's grace. Where can we find God's grace? Well, John tells us, 
From his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So God's grace is his unmerited favor. Unmerited favor that is expressed towards us. You don't earn God's grace by your efforts. You receive it as a gift. And to fit in here, you need to recognize your need for grace and then be willing to dispense that grace that has been so wonderfully lavished upon you. It's great to get grace from other people, but don't hoard it for yourselves and then get bothered by everybody else and never dispense that grace to your spouse, your kids, or your fellow church members. We must be generous with that grace. Look at Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness. I'm not going to hold your trespasses against me. There's not gonna, I'm going to make a promise that I'm not going to hold this against you. This will not come against our relationship anymore. I'm going to forgive you, your indebtedness to me. According to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. We have received God's grace so that we could be generous with that grace with each other because grace is the causative agent for life change. If you want your spouse to change, if you want your kids to change, if you want the church to change, make sure you're dispensing grace and not law. We've talked about this passage so often, Titus 2 For the grace of God has appeared. We talked about that being Jesus. He appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Look what that grace of God does. It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So it helps us say no to the bad stuff. And then it also helps us say yes to the right stuff and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Not just for the age to come, but your life can be changed today in response to the grace of God. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory and great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Grace was the causative agent for all of that wonderful stuff that, fo- that followed verse 11. So FCC is a fellowship of real people with real problems that need so often to run to the throne of grace so that we can get the mercy and grace and help in our time of need. We do this not just for ourselves, but we do it so that we can gather it up and then dispense it to the imperfect people that come through these doors. People like you, People like me. People that recognize their needs for Jesus to bring about a restoration. And when we admit our imperfections, we actually become an authentically safe place for imperfect people to meet the perfect Savior. So let's all stand right now I'm going to invite those that are leading in musical worship to go ahead and get in place. 
But I want to extend an invitation to all of here, all of those who gather here, for those of you that are tuning in online as well, to recognize this. When we admit our own imperfections, we can become an authentically safe place for imperfect people to meet the perfect Savior. So here's the call. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares about them, to all who are weak, to all who fail, to all who desire to be strengthened, to all who sin and need a Savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus. He is the mighty friend of sinners. He's an ally of his enemies. He's a defender of the indefensible and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. So come and stumble your way towards him. Let's pray. God, I pray that FCC would become a perfect place for imperfect people to meet the perfect Savior, you. God, I pray that we would be a grace-based fellowship and we learn that grace from the God of all grace who gave the testimony of, or gave the ministry to the Apostle Paul to, to testify to the gospel of your grace. We do that so that we can engage in authentic relationships, that we can stop with the facade, let the guard down, abase and empty ourselves so that your power can flow to us in our moment of humility and then find the grace that we so desperately need and mercy in our time of need. And then once we have it, God, maybe maybe demonstrate that and dispense that to other people that are still in their time of need. God, we're all weary. We all need rest. We all mourn. We all long for comfort. We all feel worthless at times, wondering if you care. We're all weak. We all fail. We all sin, and we need a Savior. And we need a place where we can come to, where we are welcomed with wide open doors to meet with King Jesus. And I pray that this church would be that place. God, I pray that we would come stumble towards you together and that as ruined sinners you would do that work of reclaiming us for yourself and for your glory it's in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>